I'm Robin Amler of IBS Intelligence. You're listening to the IBS iViews podcast. I spoke recently to Emma Steely, Chief Executive Officer of UK digital lending platform Arrow. We begin by discussing the democratization of lending. From my perspective, you know, what we do have to say is for the masses, lending, you're working with the credit reference agencies absolutely works for the masses. But actually, there is more data available in the market today that means that where a customer is potentially thin on bureau data and would be either unable to secure credit from bureau data alone or would maybe be accepted for credit but get a higher interest rate, that there is the opportunity with the amount of data that's available now to truly harness the use of that data and use it to say yes to more customers more of the time. We'll come back to data as a topic in a moment, but tell me what your view is on the value of open banking APIs when it comes to democratising lending. For me, open banking is critical. You know, my background is very much in that open banking and data space historically. You know, I've worked in with the data sets since before open banking existed. And the power of that data is immense, but only if it's used appropriately. It takes time to learn and understand how to use that data. It isn't data that's easily retrofitted because it's explicit consent model by the consumer. So the fact that you need to have that explicit consent, it takes time to gather that volume of data to be able to use. So the fact that we have, as consumers now, that ability to harness the control of our data and the ability to share it, to get something that we otherwise may not have had, I think is immensely powerful. However, I think there's a long way to go in organizations truly understanding the power of that data to be able to say yes, whereas it's very easy to use that data today to say no to people. And that's not what it's meant to be about. It's not meant to be about driving financial exclusion. It's there to drive financial inclusion. The fact that things are changing so fast has got to muddy the waters, though, because we're talking about things now like embedded finance, how that's going to change things. In a way, it's more complicated for people to arrange a loan than it ever used to be, because you used to walk down to the bank, try and persuade the bank to give you a loan. The bank could look at how much money you earn, and they'd say yay or nay. And it was that simple. There are now far more ways of approaching a lender for a borrower or prospective borrower. Absolutely, yes. But the fundamentals are still the same, right? You would walk to the bank and you would give them your bank statement to review. Or as time progressed, you'd send it in fax machines. Remember when we had those? Uh, you know, and uh, now all we're doing is we're sharing a digital bank statement online. As a consumer, what I do see is that not everybody wants that straight through service. I think at times we're guilty in the fintech industry of saying, okay, everything has to be like Amazon because everybody wants one click. Actually, when it comes to finance and credit, a consumer is used to going down a path. They want to ensure that they're sharing the right information to give them the best possible chance to be eligible 
for that product. And so I think what we're actually using now is really the digital processes and the data and technology that's available to make it easier for the customer to have more options in front of them than they would have had historically. At least that's the intention. Let's talk about embedded finance because this is the first option, perhaps, that one might in future be confronted with. I go into a store, I decide to buy something, I'm offered the option of financing that, whether it's a buy now, pay later, or whether it's a loan with interest. How do you see the evolution of embedded finance? What's going to happen over the next five years? And who's going to benefit? I think embedded finance is absolutely here to stay. It is the way that consumers expect um, to now operate. It doesn't mean that it doesn't come without a challenge. So, you know, where a, a customer, what they want to have put in front of them is not so many options that they don't know which one to choose. So what is the optimum option? And actually, again, for me, as everything, it comes back to the data and the fact that enough data exists to be able to make the solution, the credit solution personal. So it's about how do we achieve those personal outcomes for the customer, at whether it's at point of service uh, or point of purchase or at point of a credit application. You know, and it's all the work that should happen seamlessly in the background. The consumer doesn't need to see happening, but they need to know that what is being put in front of them will deliver the best possible outcome. We've seen the rise in BMPL. You know, I've looked at, you know, looking at the data this year, just looking at the open banking data, you can see, you know, 20% increase on BMPL spend um, that's coming through an average consumer's account. It is definitely that direction of travel. But really what needs to happen is for it to be personal. And actually, the data sharing is something that I think is fundamentally important and the regulation when it comes to that market. Women are historically negatively impacted by the lending market. Fundamentally, it's all accidental. The models um, (laughs) when it comes to gender bias were built, you know, as and we say, as recent as, and I would say it was recent as because it's in the 80s, you know, model credit models that were being built in the 80s, as much as, you know, you had the um, Equalities Act um, in place at the time, it wasn't unusual for a woman that was employed to have to have a credit agreement signed by her husband or even her father before accessing credit. And so, you know, those kind of practices were still going on. And the models that were built were built primarily by men. And actually what it's just meant is that over the years, there has been bias within the data and within the decisioning. And so, you know, I can still look at it and I can see a male that's in the same sort of position as me, same sort of age bracket as me, and their credit score will still be higher than mine. It's something that completely baffles me um, in the space. But there is a real opportunity now by bringing in the additional data sets, because when I've gone back and looked at the data in open banking, for example, you, know, you can actually see that women um, tend to be more credit worthy than men when it comes to looking at their bank transaction data. So really, there is just a readjustment over a period of time. But as we all know, in the credit uh, industry, it takes much longer it's a much more drawn out process to create those changes uh, in the market but there's a great opportunity to do so 
Well, what you're actually driving, of course, is a super tanker, which does not change direction very quickly. Agreed. Absolutely. You're citing data there that shows that women are a better risk or potentially a better risk. Yes. Which is perhaps something that needs to be taken on board. And it's one of those examples of data that has not previously been looked at or not previously been considered as a way of measuring the creditworthiness of a potential borrower. Yes. What can you tell me about the other ways that should be brought in and should be considered now? I think it's about, there's a lot in and around behavioural data as well. You know, as Arrow, we are, you know, a a digital lending marketplace. And we are, where we collect data up front, you know, in the lending industry, majority of the applications do come through an aggregator of some sort. And so actually what we also see is behavioural data. You know, consumers going through, filling out, going back, changing fields. So behaviour in a credit application cycle is something that is, been there forever and is really important but has never really come to the surface and so that's something that we're looking at here as well and also the other thing that I we have been doing analysis on underserved customers over the past few months and a very common trend that we are seeing is even customers that have a credit score that would be classed as good by most lenders and they have affordability of £500 or more of disposable income a month that we're actually seeing. Because the customer is a tenant that has moved in the last 12 months, they are actually being refused credit or getting very, very poor offers um, available to them. And so I do sit and look at it and go, really, you know, a lot of people talk about uh, rental data and feeding that back into the agency. And there's a process already set up to do that. But to your point about, you know, being a super tanker, it takes so much time to change. And really, I sit here going, my gosh, are we really saying a tenant that has moved house in the last 12 months should not be appropriately served in the market in which we live in today? Because we all know how difficult it is now to be able to get a mortgage and get on the property ladder. So I think that dealing with tenants is something that uh, there's a real opportunity to do. Well, there are also, of course, other financial metrics like electricity bills, mobile phone contracts, all these things paint a picture of how someone behaves with their finances. Completely agree. We see, you know, when I, uh, my previous business um, account score, you know, we used to um, have a product called the financial health indicator. And what we actually saw on that is actually if a consumer was paying pet insurance and paying their council tax, they were incredibly positive credit worthiness metrics. We used to have a little giggle about it, but it, you know, the fact was that these were being paid for, so therefore that person was deemed to be more credit worthy. So yeah, very interesting. It's surprising in a way. There is a significant percentage of the population in a developed market like the United Kingdom, elsewhere in Europe as well, in America also, as these are the best examples where a substantial proportion of the population, 10 to 15 percent perhaps as much as, is still financially excluded Mm. in a developed market that has all this information, that has all this this metric. So heaven knows how people manage in other marketplaces, even a larger percentage of people uh, are financially excluded. It's actually almost easier in an emerging market because they are much more open-minded 
about new data sets as it becomes available. You know, to my point earlier, you know, that it does work for the masses, you know, and we have some of the greatest financial institutions in the world are here, you know, and we see credit being issued, you know, organizations are making money, it's well regulated, it, the fundamentals of it all work. And I think that's part of the problem. Because when something is working for the masses, and everybody's you know, successfully making money out of that, they then aren't necessarily paying attention to the other customers. And I have to say, what I think has been a real driver now for consideration from the financial institutions and um, large lenders in the UK market has actually been consumer duty, because it's a change in language from the regulator. And what you have to think about now is helping the customer to achieve their financial objective, not your own. And so by doing that, and you've had to start thinking about, okay, just because I'm not going to say yes to this customer doesn't mean that there is not an alternative solution for this customer that is perfectly reasonable and actionable. And so how do we embrace that and move forward? So I think part of the change that we've seen throughout 2023 has been that shift with the regulation with consumer duty to deliver the good customer outcomes. I'm happy to to hear you say that there has been actual change in the marketplace because I've heard quite a lot over the recent years about how it's all about the customer experience. It's all about customer satisfaction. It's, yeah, lip service. Sorry, deeply cynical. A lot of that has been lip service and has not been the reality. But you're saying now that because of the consumer duty legislation that was brought in in the UK, there is a tangible change in how institutions are starting to think about their customers. Absolutely. I would say that it's not going to be fast. Let's be clear about that. But there is certainly a great open-mindedness that is we are starting to see engagement with them in and around, okay, how can you help us to help our customers? And I think that is a really big shift that we've seen in the market and that we will continue to see throughout 2024. Emma Steely, Chief Executive Officer of Arrow. 